What's up, fellow humans? Welcome to another episode of For the Love of, a podcast where I do a deep dive into what other people love and are passionate about. Uh, before we jump into today's episode and I introduce today's guest, I just want to do a little shout out to a local candle company called Velvet Moon Dance. Now, you can find them on Etsy, one word, Velvet Moon Dance. Now, these are handmade soy phthalate-free candles, and uh, the slogan is they're handmade with love and magic. I'm holding in my hand what um, is a teacup that was thrifted and a candle was put inside of it. And this scent is called Honeymoon. Now, Valentine's Day is coming up. It is February 5th right now. So if you want to go to Etsy, you can go to Velvet Moon Dance, one word, and purchase some candles. Now, a little bit extra information is this is my wife's candle shop. So it would be beneficial for me, be beneficial for her. If you guys would scoot on over there and snag yourself a little candle of honeymoon. Now, today I've got Brian Bogert with me. Now, Brian, um, he teaches people how to leverage radical authenticity and awareness to create the intentional life you've been dreaming of, uh, but maybe you've been struggling to create. So he's got a revolutionary strategy to embrace pain, to avoid suffering. And he's helped individuals and companies break beyond their normal to achieve the success in life and business that they've always wanted. So, Brian, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Man, I'm good. I'm happy to be here. And I, I, I loved that intro. And I'm going to have to go back and remember that name at the end of this because I might have to go on and buy some of those candles. That was pretty sweet. I like that intro, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, these candles, um, I am so proud of her, the way that she has been building this business for herself and she makes them in our kitchen. I see her sweat over them all the time and they come out beautifully. So definitely snag yourself a couple. They're awesome candles. Yeah, I will. Man. Watching you on screen, I felt like I could smell it through the screen. So man, that, <sighs> that was good. She does. It's so fun to watch her work, man. She has all these little scents and things she pours into bottles and trying to make the scent just right. It's awesome. Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. Thank you for hopping on, man. I know you're busy. I know you do a lot of podcasts and I know you interact with a lot of people, so it can be a little bit tiring. So thanks for hopping on. I appreciate your energy today. Yeah. Happy to be here, man. I, I'm, I'm grateful for anybody like you who's building platforms to put good into the world. So I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be here and hopefully pour into you and pour into your listeners. Well, good. Well, on that, I just want to jump into a little bit. Give me a little bit of your background and why um, you've kind of had this slogan, like learning from failure, that sort of thing. Give yeah. me a little bit of what that yeah. means to you. So I, I want the listeners to just uh, indulge me for one second, unless they're driving. <laughs> if they're driving, don't do this. But I'm going to ask everybody to just close their eyes for one second. I'll tell you when to reopen them. I want you to imagine going to a store, having a successful shopping trip, heading back to your car, and as you're almost to your car, you turn your head and see a truck barreling 40 miles an hour right at you with no time to react. Go ahead and open your eyes. That's where this portion of my story begins. My mom, my brother, and I went to our local Walmart for a one-inch paintbrush. And as we were headed back to our car, I've always had this like energy for life. So it wasn't a surprise to her that I was the first one in the car. I wanted to get home and put that one-inch paintbrush to use, right? But this was back in the days before there was key fobs. So I had to wait for her to literally catch up to me, put the key in the door, and turn the key. So she was three, four feet behind me at the time. As I was standing by the car, a truck pulls up in front of the store, driver and middle passenger get out, and the passenger all the way to the right feels the truck moving backwards. So he did what any one of us would do, and he moves over to put his foot on the brake, but he instead hit the gas. Combination of shock and force threw him up onto the steering wheel, up onto the dashboard, and before you know it, he was catapulting 40 miles an hour across the parking lot right at me with no time to react. Now, we were in an end spot. He went up and over the median, went up and over the tree in the median, hit our car, knocked me over, 
ran over me diagonally, tore my spleen, left a tire track scar on my stomach, and continued on to completely sever my left arm from my body. There I am laying on the parking lot on a 115 degree day in Phoenix, Arizona. My mom and brother watched the whole thing happen. My arm's now 10 feet away. And also fortunately for me, my guardian angel saw it as well. There was a nurse that walked out of the store right when this happened and she saw the literal life and limb scenario in front of her. And she rushed immediately into action. So she came over, she put her hands on the main wound, stopped the bleeding and saved my life. And while this was happening, she had some innocent bystanders run inside, grab a cooler, fill it with ice in the convenience center, and have my detached arm on ice within minutes. Literally, she put it into the, the bucket of ice. Had she not done one or both of those things, Stephen, I either wouldn't be here with you today, or I'd be here with you today with a cleaned up stump. Like, that's just reality. I'm going to expedite over a whole bunch of other parts of that story we might unpack later, but you can probably imagine it was a long road to recovery, right? And I know yeah. that you... You might have expected it because you did a little research on me, but I'm sure the, the listeners certainly didn't, right? Right, right. And what I've learned in all this time is that I have a very unique story. But what I've also realized is that we all have unique stories. So what's important is that we pause and become aware of the lessons we can extract from our stories and then become intentional with how do we apply them in our lives. And we all have the ability to do that. We also all have the ability to tap into the collective wisdom of other people's stories to shorten our own curve to learning. And so I'm gonna mm -hmm. share with you two primary, you've already talked about one of them, but the first is I learned not to get stuck by what has happened to me, but instead get moved by what I could do with it. And the other I didn't realize until far later, you say I was seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old going through the process. Yeah, I was there for the surgeries. Yeah, I was there for the physical therapy. Yeah, I was there for the recovery and the pain, but I was also in a fog. My parents, however, were not. Right. They were intimately aware of the unceasing medical treatments and years of physical therapy. And the idea of seeing their son grow up without the use of his left arm was a source of great potential suffering for them. So they literally willed themselves day in and day out to do what was necessary, what was tough, to embrace the pains to ultimately strengthen and heal me. So whether it was intentional or not, what they did was ingrain in me a philosophy and a way of living, which was to embrace pain, to avoid suffering. And when this is done right, that's also where we get the ability to gain freedom. Now, it's the same concept that I've used that we can unpack later if we desire to, but it's the same concept that I've used to not only become this unique injury, but also how my business partners and I built our last business to 15 million within the span of a decade. And now how I flipped that on its head as a human behavior and performance coach, be able to hundreds of organizations and individuals just like you, just like our listeners, become more aware, more intentional and become who they already are, their most authentic selves. You see, that's when magic starts to happen. And I believe the door starts to crack to perspective, motivation, and direction. And that's when I think we also have the ability to have joy, freedom, and fulfillment enter into our lives. And that's why we are focused on trying to impact a billion lives in the next 25 years. Because if we accomplish that, if we reduce the level of suffering that exists in the world, joy, freedom, and fulfillment starts coming back in. That's when people can be celebrated and free to be who they are. And that's when the bonds of human connection get even stronger. You, first of all, you, you present yourself like a speaker. I know you're a speaker, but it's coming across very well. I love it. I love, I love the passion and the, the direction that you have gone from the suffering. And that's something that um, I have been focused on a lot these past couple of years. Um, I don't have a story like yours, but that's really not the point. The point is finding your story and how your that story. can import other yeah. people. Right. Because your story, my story, someone else's story, that's the most authentic to that person. So how that's can you right. use that story to impact other people and you've been doing said, that my friend beautifully said my friend 
So I want to go back to a couple things. We can touch on anything you want. This is your time to talk. But I do want to. I've I've sifted through some of your Facebook and some of your different yeah. your different um, social medias, and something kind of stood out to me. You made a a post about how exhausted you were recently, like yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, hey yeah. man, I've been doing. A, you you did a um, a live event. First one you've done, or one of three you've done in like the past year or so, and it exhausted you. Um, because you gave a lot of yourself in this event and, and yeah. how you expressed yourself. I guess one of my question is just go into how you gave, how that felt exhausting. And then what do you do emotionally? Because being around people and interacting with people is more of an emotional fatigue than physical. And the emotional can bring into, you know, a more physical fatigue, Huge. but Huge. how do you, how do you emotionally rest? What's your key to that? So that's a great question. Um, I'm, I'm going to start with the first part of the question, which was, you know, what did it feel like to actually go there and pour myself into those folks? It, you know, what I have learned in all of my time of doing this is that I am most free when I'm in that type of a position. Now I've got multiple things where I am free, but one of the places that I am most authentically me is when I'm on stage or I have the opportunity to speak, whether it's this or in person. Okay. Um, you know, you say that I'm a speaker. The reality of it is this is how I talk every single day in every single conversation. It's not like this is like a, a structured act, right? Like this is right. who I am. And so that's one of the things I have to be really, really clear on because there's speakers, trained speakers who are brilliant, right? There's marketers, there's all these different people. I think for me, one of the reasons that I get so emptied is because I speak from the soul. Mm. I speak from my heart. I speak from my experience. And I, when I say I pour myself into people, like when you say I can hear the passion, like this is me. Like I genuinely am investing all of myself in those moments to be where my feet are, be with whoever I'm with, whether it's with you right now on the podcast or in that room. Now, the difference between this and that room is I can get a little bit of energy feedback over the screen, but not a lot. Yeah. I can transfer a lot through the screen because that's one of the things I've learned how to do. And it's been important in this last year to really kind of get that art down. But I don't always get a lot of feedback, energy feedback from the screen. Right. In a room, it becomes even more intuitive for me because I'm literally using my intuition to feed off the energy of the room to know where and how to take the stories to connect with their hearts so that I then have the ability to take it to their head and then bring it back into their body and their heart. Transformation happens in that type of a process where when you can connect with people on that level, part of the reason I'm, I believe, good at it, right? I'm not trying to pat myself on the back when I say No, no, no. That. I love it when people say that they're good at stuff because that, yeah, that's just like, a self-awareness thing, it's, you know? It's, it's, a, it's a gift that I have right? that I denied for a long time, which is why I can say, like, not only is it a gift, but I'm, I am good at it. And by the way, I'm getting better at it every day. And that's so the thing. Exactly. Yeah. Acknowledging your gift and then working on it to be better. It's, is it's a, exactly everyone right. Like I'm that. just trying to hone the gift to make sure right. that I have the greatest amount of impact possible. Right. But in person, when I'm in that room, part of the reason that I'm good, part of the reason that I connect is because I, and I genuinely believe this, I speak from my soul mm. and I'm speaking my truth. And I'm also not telling people what to do. So when I do that, it's about getting them to think about their thinking, think about their feeling feel their thinking and feel their feelings. So the way that I'll navigate a conversation is really to get people to connect their mind and their body, but also like understand what does that mean? 
So to do that effectively, I literally have to pour all of myself into it. And then what happens after that is often when you've done that, right? There's tears in the audience. You know, you've connected the dots. We've done those things. I'm also not one of those speakers, although I've done it in the past. It just depends on the logistics. I'm also not one of those speakers that flies in and flies out just for the talk because I like to be there afterwards to at least try to answer questions because I know I've invoked something in people typically. Yeah. Now in this scenario, it was a mastermind. I was actually at the lodge that we were doing it at. So I had an entire evening to unpack that. And there was a number of people that ended up crying in my arms throughout the course of the night. Now I don't, again, I don't say that to be like, Oh, and I would never expose who those people are. That's not my story to tell. That's theirs. Right. Okay. But what I will tell you is when I put that video together, it was literally because I was wrecked because I didn't have the time to recover by the time I made the video, which was like Monday or Tuesday. And it just dropped yesterday. My content strategist and I were kind of going back and forth on, do we release this? Do we not? Right. Like, yeah. um, and not, not, not for any reason other than I like to show all of myself to the world, because then you start to realize that the intellectual content that I release is actually how I live. So there's a thought process there. That's why I was so drained. And the fact that that muscle hasn't been exercised as effectively as normal. When I have the ability to do this regularly and consistently, I can pour more into people and it takes me less time to refill that bucket because it doesn't get quite as empty. But when right. the muscle's out of shape, that bucket was like, I was like dipping into reserves. Like, I think I was like at the bottom, there were just like a couple of drops left. And I'm like, where do I, where do I fill this? So this whole week has been about rest and restoration. And I how that. I do that is a combination of a few things. Sleep is critically important. So I've done everything I can this week to literally restore my physical body in sleep so that I have the strength physically to do the emotional work that's necessary. The way I unpack emotional, I wish I could tell you there was like a silver bullet that would work for everybody. This is just how I do it, okay? I have to focus on my meditation practices, my breathing, my stillness, because that is a huge recharge for me. I also have to write or create content that's based around my experience. For me, they're both cathartic. I was right? just so, about to say that word. I was just about to say, it's cathartic, isn't it? And then you went ahead and said it. It is. Yeah. Literal pen to paper, but I also communicate audibly. I use my voice and my energy to communicate where I'm at in a way that gives people permission to be where they're at. And so sometimes just releasing content. So I created a bunch of content this week. I've been extra in intentional with my meditation and stillness so that I can just be in my own body and reflect and move to the highest level of consciousness possible. What am I experiencing? Right. And where, and how do I start to fill that bucket back up? But the cathartic approach of creating content, like that is actually one of the things that I do. It gets it out of my body. So I'm not carrying the weight. Cause often when I do that, pouring myself into people, I'm also taking their pain from them and carrying it inside of me. Yeah. And I can do that in small, small amounts, but I, if I don't refill myself, I, I can't do that for people. So part of my two and a half hour morning routine is the combination of those things, content, writing, meditation, and stillness. And then I've got other pieces that are connected to it. But the reason I do that is because it's the least selfish thing I can do because it's actually putting me in the position to serve other people. And that's what I'm all about. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't work on resting yourself and rehabbing yourself, you're not going to be much use to somebody else. It's true. The There've been longitudinal studies that have been done across military business and sports. And they've looked at intermittent peak performers and they've looked at sustained peak performers. The singular difference between the two, the sustained peak performers scheduled rest and recovery as important as their training and discipline and what they need to do in their job or role. Think about Didn't. that. That's important. So my equation in life used to be stress equals growth. 
The more stress I put into my life, the more I lift in the gym, the harder I run, the longer I stay in the office, the extra calls I make to, to generate revenue, the more I do, the more I serve. Like literally, it's like the more stress I have, the bigger my capacity gets. And by the way, that served me really well for a long time. It, it, there's, there's truth to that, right? You constantly have to push the limits to grow. Right. But the biggest variable that I was missing was rest and recovery. You know, I see I was sleeping three to four hours a night for years and it bit me hard, right? And yeah. so now I don't, I mean, there will be moments where I sacrifice the things I need to do around rest and recovery, but it's, it's only a couple of days at best that that'll happen before I'm right back into my routine. Because if I stay there, I can sustain this level of energy, passion, delivery, and pouring of myself into people over long periods of time without needing that crash moment. Man, you say, I, you say so many things that I'm just so in alignment with. I want to go back to just to a one part of thing you said about the vulnerability, about being open and about pouring yourself and being your authentic yeah. self with a lot of your content and whatnot. That gives people permission to also do that themselves. That's right. Vulnerability is one of those things that I'm, I'm actively trying to practice in my personal life and stuff like this, where you being more open and honest with how you feel, how you think, you know, and trying to connect with people like that. And it's in a conversation. If you just try this and anyone listening, if you just try this today, just be more vulnerable in a personal conversation with somebody. It's really going to help give them permission to be vulnerable with you. And you, I think right. you'll find a really good connection with somebody today. If you just open some part of yourself and be vulnerable, you know? Vulnerability and authenticity are the glue that binds human connection. Right. And so I think that there's a huge truth to that. But the other piece about it is people struggle to be vulnerable because they feel exposed or there have been reasons in conditioning that has prevented them from wanting to be authentically who they are, because that's what the world does. It conditions us to fit into boxes. Right. And so we carry this armor with us and that armor we believe is protecting us from being vulnerable, from having those soft spots within us be exposed. But what most people don't realize is that the weight of that armor is actually crushing you the more and longer you carry it. Just because you can carry it doesn't mean it's not heavy, right? So carrying right. the armor gets heavy and it gets heavier the more you carry it. So if you truly want to be free, you got to start shedding layers of that armor so that you can actually get to the core of who you are and live and exist from a place that's vulnerable and authentic. And if you do that, again, that's, what I, that's one of the core beliefs I have. The more we can have people do that, the more free people will be. And to understand you're not the only one. Another thing about vulnerability is like you help other people right. understand that you're not the only one struggling with X, Y, Z. We're human. We have the same struggles. We, we love, we sacrifice, we That's hurt, right. we, all these things. So yeah, you're not alone in this journey That's of right. life. That's right. Um, one of my favorite sayings, or I, I don't know if anyone else has said this necessarily, but I'm going to coin it because I'm going to say it the rest of my life is fear is a lie. I think that fear is a, is is untruthful because most of the time the things you're scared about are not as bad as how they end up being and i feel like you have a similar way of I thinking do. when it comes to fear I um I, <laughs> I wanted to know like how you teach your kids to deal with fear i saw a really adorable inspiring video on your facebook of your kid talking about i think it's mountain biking and how yeah. scary that was for him what yeah how, what's that process like teaching a, teaching a young person how to not be fearful yeah no we can unpack that for sure it's something i'm passionate about you're right i do have a similar saying i say fear is fabricated mm. right um but i also say that fear gives us feedback if we're listening and fear helps us hone our focus I like the alliteration, all the F words. That's good. Fear, fear is a, is a powerful thing. 
I'm going to give you one more alliteration. You ready for this one? Yeah. All of the greatest things in life are on the other side of fear. Fun, freedom, and fulfillment. They're all on the other side of fear. So fear is fabricated. It often tells us lies, like you said, right? Fear gives us feedback if we're listening. Fear hones our focus. And when we're able to move through it, we realize that all the greatest things in life are on the other side of fear, fun, freedom, and fulfillment. So with my son, it's a perfect example. I've told that story recently because I started to see this is, this is actually application to life. Okay. Now my son's on the autism spectrum. So anxiety and fear are like hardwired in him, right? Unless he understands the black and white can have everything anticipated ahead of him. What does that happen? It spins up as, as fear, anxiety. And at the same time, physical movement is something that helps mitigate the impact of that, right? The more he stays physical, running, swimming, biking, which are the three that keep him most level, which is why I think he's going to be a triathlete naturally, just because that's what he's leaning into. He just, he's generally more stable. I'm no different. That's exactly how I'm wired. Okay. Which is part of the reason I push so hard physically. So a year ago, year and a half ago, he started saying, dad, I really want to go mountain biking. Cause he saw I had a mountain bike and I would ride it with him on the road, but then he'd also know that I would go do mountain biking with buddies and friends and things. And so I said, okay, you're going to have to earn this. Because what do you mean? I said, well, there's a lot of fundamentals that we need to work on before I'm even going to consider buying you a bike. You have to earn it. And once you've put in the work to show me that you're ready, we'll get you a mountain bike. So what we did for a year was we focused on body position on the bike. We focused on leveling his pedals when he was going around turns or going over obstacles. We started focusing on brake modulation and control. We started focusing on in the saddle and out of the saddle techniques. We started climbing hills that were on the road so that he could understand what it was like to actually have the resistance hit him. And starting going downhills on the road so we could understand that if he just like allowed himself to be free, the hill would do the work for him, right? So we did all these things. And, and I would literally work with him. I broke it down into small incremental bits because I knew that if he could consume that small bit, the way he works, he'll master it fast. And then we can stack and layer those skills on top of each other. So that's what we did with him for a year. Last October, we got him a mountain bike because he earned it. But well, I made how him thrilled earn. was he? I bet he was oh thrilled. Oh my gosh. He like lost it. I've got a video of him riding his bike for the very first time at the bike shop in the, in the parking lot. And the kid's just like elated, right? Like he, because, yeah. and also the reward was so much better because he knew he worked for it. Yeah. Right. It yeah. wasn't like dad, I want a mountain bike. And dad went and bought him a mountain bike. I was like, no, we're not buying you a mountain bike until you're ready for a mountain bike. And then even when he got the mountain bike, I wouldn't let him go on the mountain. We wouldn't, I, I didn't take him because the mountain bike was different than his old bike. It was a little bigger. The tires were a little different. It now had, he has seven gears on his mountain bike. It's got a front suspension on it. And now he's got two brakes instead of um, one. And he's got a free uh, cycle, like where his pedals can go backwards. It's different than the old bike that he had with a single gear. So we worked on his bike for about a month before I took him on the hill for the first time. He was ready. Okay. So we go. And no matter what, it's still happening. When we go mountain biking pretty, pretty regularly now, he's a beast on that mountain bike. I mean, he's six years old. The very first ride he did, he did seven and a half miles and 15 feet of elevation gain. And it wasn't intentional to start out that way. I, he's done more than that on the road, but, but like it wasn't intentional to start out that way. I knew it was going to wipe him. We were actually with one of my buddies and we took a wrong turn. <laughs> and so we added mileage to our original plan and he just hung the whole time. And so anyway, but what happens is he can climb the hills and we're good. No matter what, no matter how much we've done this, he still has hills that he gets to the top of and he has fear. Hmm. Fear like shuts him down. Okay. It shuts all of us down, but fear is often fabricated. So what do we do? We pause, we take a breath first, and then we look at the mountain ahead of us. 
My one rule is we can get off our bike and walk it to the top of the hill, but we're riding down. I love that. Right? The other rule is if we ride out, unless you're injured to the point that you can't, we ride back. So it, you don't get off your bike and walk at home. If you have to get to the top because the resistance of the hill is too big, sometimes it's okay to slow down and walk. Like I give him permission there, but that's my rule. If we go to these mountains, we stay on our bike because we have to push through the pain. So we get to the top of the hill and we get to the top of that mountain and he's looking down. He knows his only option is to ride down it. So we literally map out the course. We chart the line ahead. We look at where it needs to go, what turns we can anticipate, where there might be soft spots in the ground. Like we literally chart the line and we come up with a plan. And then we look at that line and we say, okay, what are the potential obstacles along the way? What are some bigger rocks that might be there? Again, where's there, where's there some spot where there might be some softer dirt that you might wash out? Uh, is there a, a tree branch or a limb or a root that we need to get over? Like we literally plan it out and then we're like, okay, so is our line still correct? Sometimes we make adjustments, but it's like, okay, those are the obstacles we choose to avoid. And then we look at, okay, we're going to fail. You're probably going to fall on this mountain at some point. It might not be this one, but it might be the next one. So how do we anticipate failure? If there's a cliff on one side, if we fail, we can't fail that. One. <laughs> right, right. We have to fail to the right. So fall to the right. We have to anticipate the failure so that if something happens, we're thinking about, but it'll be instinct at that moment. I'm falling to the right, not falling to the left. And then at exactly. some point, at some point, we have to move from faith to fear or from fear to faith. I'm sorry, I said that backwards. We have to move from fear to faith. The only thing that fear and faith have in common other than the start with the letter F is an undetermined future. If you've done the work that we just outlined, at some point you got to let go of the brakes and just let it roll. And this applies to everything in our life. So that fear is giving him feedback. It's legitimate feedback. It's hardwired in us. It means I have to pay attention. It's giving me feedback. It's going to hone my focus. But that also means it's fabricated. And guess what? When he lets go of those brakes and gets to the bottom of the hill, I hear a woo at the bottom of the hill, right? Because he's having so much fun. He's free and he's filled because he's now proud of himself that he just did it. And he feels so good. You feel so good after moments like that when you've been yes. scared, but you've pushed through it and then you've succeeded. Oh my God, is there a better feeling? I don't but know. It's usually just a few moments. It's just a few moments that you got to get through. Yeah. Until you realize like, what was I afraid of in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. Or push Once you go past that point of no return, once the wheels start turning down the hill and you know, there's no turning back and you just got to grit and bear it. And then you realize, wait, wait, I got this. Hold on. We prepared for this. Wait. This isn't so bad. Wait, this is fun. Yeah. Yeah. But the interesting thing is about brakes in this case, right? And why I say you got to let go of the brakes. Sometimes we get afraid and we pump the brakes. Hmm. On a mountain bike, you can flip your bike doing that if you, if you push the brakes the wrong way. You can literally endo. You can slide out. And then you're in a way off position, right? So it's about modulating the brakes sometimes. So you can take off just a little bit of the edge. But once you go over that edge, you got to be really careful to clamp down. Right? You have to, right. at some point, let yourself modulate or just let go. That's where you're going to get to the bottom. That's such a good analogy for life. I mean, all of that is mountain biking with your kid and planning things out, facing fear, getting to the bottom, having fun. I'm going to remember that. I think that's going to stick with me for a while, to be honest with you. Thank you. Well, you can thank my son. He's the one who taught me that, that analogy. So, <laughs> And he did, and he had the, the perfect... I don't know, sentence or series of sentences in that video I watched. And he was just so proud of himself and he was so inspiring. Yeah. It was great. 
It was phenomenal. I encourage anyone to go to to go to Brian's Facebook and and check it out. You'll I'm sure you'll pitch it later in the in the episode here, but definitely check yeah. out his videos there too. Well, um, wait till so we, that was just a clip of his stuff. There was like five minutes of him dropping bombs, and so that was just a little <laughs> teaser. We're right now finishing up the production on his own episode around fear. Yes, because it's I mean it's it's gold, right? Like I, I I couldn't have scripted it if I wanted to. The guy was just like on a on a roll. So something wait till about, you see that. I'll make sure you see it. Something about little kids being inspiring it, it's or or understanding that that's a concept and yeah. then and then saying it to adults is like well what what the hell am i doing then why why am i not like this changer. yeah, yeah totally. man absolutely that's gonna set him up well for life too yeah absolutely um one of your another one of the the things you talk about and i'm sure you help people with a lot is being in alignment with yeah. with yourself and what's in your path um kind of goes along with the same story we're talking about here um the whole like stay in your lane saying saying no to good things that aren't quite in alignment with what you're you know with what your life or what you choose to do in your life uh the book um the subtle art of not giving a fuck by mark manson that's a great book, that's um, a great book. that was a game changer for me to understand like look there's a lot of good things in life there's a lot of great things that you could do but if you spread yourself too thin if you try to do all these good things it's not going to work focus on what's good for you and what's in alignment for you and i feel like you have a very similar way of thinking. Very similar philosophy. Yeah. The problem is, and where most people fail, is they don't actually know what is in alignment for them because they haven't put in the work to understand who they really are and what's most important to them, right? And, and part of the reason they're remaining stuck, right, is some combination of emotional triggers and behavioral patterns that's kept them in that spot. But where did those triggers and patterns come from? The conditioning from our outside world, right. okay? So if you think about this, and I'm going to come back to answer the question on alignment, but we have to look at it this way. We're born as the most raw, bright, burning light we'll ever be. Let that sink in for a second, because that's also sad. It's inspiring, but it's sad. We can get it back. But what happens most often is we're that raw burning light. And then parents, teachers, coaches, employers screw it up. Because what we end up doing is we start saying, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should be this. You shouldn't do that. Should in and of itself is a shame-based word because it implies whatever you're doing isn't good enough. But when those are the narratives that you hear from day one, you don't really know. How do I honor my true self if I'm being told that that's not appropriate? that I can't do that. Or if I want to be a creative and my parents want me to be a lawyer, right? I'm a bad person if I chase my dream to authentically honor who I am. So to me, most people chase the what. What house, what car, what amount of money, what job, what profession, and the what is conditioned based on our society. What happens when we chase the what is we lose the who. So it's not a surprise that we see people having a midlife crisis. When it's not a surprise when we see people earn seven and eight figures being miserable or stuck. They've had great financial success, but they haven't done the work to get back to the who. It's work, because I talked about earlier, it's about shedding those layers of armor that keep us from being vulnerable, that keep us from knowing and trusting and surrendering that who we are is good enough, that it's actually the gift we can give to the world most authentically. And so when we have the ability to recognize that thing and we put in the work and we get back to the core of the who, then the what becomes a manifestation of the who and it's way more powerful. Right. So alignment is about doing the work and asking those questions. Who am I? What does actually make me happy, fun, free, and fulfilled? Where are those toxic energy things that invoke those negative emotions like fear, guilt, and shame? Nobody deserves to feel that, but we often do. And if you understand who you are and then you ultimately understand what's most important to you, you can start packing this or unpacking this in a way that becomes really empowering. So this actually connects to the concept of embrace pain to avoid suffering. 
So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give the full form on this. I'm going to hit it really hard, but I want to tell a couple of stories here, if you'll indulge me. Give it I think to this us, is man. really powerful in a way to help people get alignment with who they are. We are okay? here for it. We're here right. for it. All right. Well, I'm going to bring the fire right now. You ready? Let's do here it. Here we go. Okay. So the very first step in this idea of embracing pain to avoid suffering is acknowledging the suffering that you wish to avoid, which sounds counterintuitive and totally fucked up, to be perfectly honest. People are like, wait a minute. You're telling me I need to embrace pain to avoid suffering? What does this even mean? So before I answer that, I'm going to tell you what is pain and suffering. We have to understand that. Pain is defined as short-term, intermittent, and direct cause from something and alleviate it once that direct cause is removed. And then we fuck it up like we do with everything else in society. And we put adjectives and other clarifications on it. So acute and chronic. Acute maintains the definition. Chronic changes it. Because it implies it's not short-term, not intermittent, and persists even after direct cause is removed. That's suffering. We don't admit that suffering exists, particularly when it's a direct result of our choices. Period. Whereas pain gets lots of attention and we try to avoid it because the real world literally tells us to reduce, eliminate, or avoid pain. So this concept, we can embrace the pain of hitting the gym for 30 minutes a day to avoid the suffering of aches and pains of a sedentary lifestyle. We can yep. embrace the pain of a difficult conversation with a loved one or spouse to avoid the suffering of a loveless marriage that's going to end in divorce or being stuck in a marriage when we want divorce. I want to interrupt right there. It's choose your hard because both of those are hard. Being, be, having, a, having a bad marriage and working on your marriage you, are both you, hard. You, you, you just stole where I was going, Steven. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Man, but that's, I, I was love about that. to drop the mic and you took it from me. <laughs> okay, I I'm, want you to share that. Okay. Yeah. So- but the last one, right? We can embrace the pain of putting in the work to discover who we are and committing ourselves to that to avoid the suffering of being an empty shell of who we are. I believe we all must choose our pain or our suffering will choose us. Ooh. Hold on, say that again. I believe we all must choose our pain or our suffering will choose us. Do you want influence and control over your destiny, who you are and what you do? You have to make that choice. So how do you do it? Acknowledge the suffering you wish to avoid, okay? That's the counter to getting really clear on who you are and what's, what's important. I have a client I'm working with right now. He's 38 years old. He moved 26 times before the time he was 18. Wow. He had lived with his mom, his aunt, his grandma, his dad. Never for much longer than a few months. You can do the math. First 18 years, 26 times. He never had the same group of friends. He never went to the same school twice. He never learned how to give or receive love, nor did he think he was worthy enough to receive love because why was everybody always pushing him off? He's got a beautiful wife, two beautiful daughters. The idea of suffering for them is existence in life without them. Hmm. So what does he really want? He wants to make sure that he can secure that forever because when he envisions where he wants to be at 80 years old, he sees his wife and him sitting on their ranch in Texas with the wind blowing through the brush. And the only thing breaking the silence is the laughter of his daughters and his grandkids. When he gets that type of imagery, that type of connection, and he can burn that into his soul, his purpose becomes big enough to overtake the pain. The next step is identifying the pains that we tend to avoid and learning to embrace them. I'm going to use my own story on this one. Okay. Now, I don't have a lat in the left side of my back. I don't have a tricep. My bicep is my gracilis from my leg. I have imbalance in my body. I've got a curve in my spine. I have consistent back pain. And I have my entire life. And the older I've gotten, the worse it's gotten. 15 years ago, it started to get debilitating. It wasn't just acute pain. It wasn't even chronic pain. It was suffering because it was debilitating. It was impacting my quality of life. And so what did I do? I, I learned that if I stayed lean, if I kept my core strong, if I stayed active and stayed in movement, that my pain was just pain. It wasn't suffering. It was livable. It was manageable. It wasn't, it wasn't debilitating. So what did I do? I went and joined the gym right? That's the obvious thing you do. If I need to stay lean and stay in shape, I'm going to go join a gym. Right. And I went consistently for 30 days. And then I stopped going. 
I could have stopped there. And that's where most people do. This isn't to pat myself on the back. It's just to suggest that this concept has allowed me what go, to go to the next step. Because I had to ask myself, is it the pain of lifting weights? Is it the pain of cardio? Is it the pain of plyometrics? Is it the pain of literal physical movement that's keeping me stuck? Or is it the anxiety I get in a crowded gym? Mm -hmm. It wasn't hard to answer that question. That wasn't my environment for success. I hated being there. I didn't perform at my best. I didn't push myself. It was a distraction because I had emotional triggers that I hadn't unpacked. So what did I do? I had to embrace the pain of literally creating the space, the time, the energy, and investing the money to create my own home gym so that I could mitigate the suffering that was physically happening as a result of it. But so often people think it's the wrong strategy or the wrong tactics. And they just think that if I change my strategy and tactics, I can change it, right? I could have just said, oh, maybe it's not this gym. Maybe I go to another gym. Maybe I join Orange Theory. Maybe I, right? I could have just gone down that continual pattern and kept hitting the same levels of failure, which is what happens so often in life. More often than not, it's not the wrong strategy and tactic. It's a combination of emotional triggers and behavioral patterns that keeps us stuck. And until we do the work of unpacking that, we won't ever be free. And the third step is establishes a habit in everything in our life. Let's flip habits on its head. Normally we view it as a cost or an expense. Literally experts in habit formation call it an upfront energy tax to establish a new habit. We automatically view it as a negative. Flip it on its fucking head. It's an investment in your future self. And if you understand those first two steps with clarity, the habit's not a hard thing to ingrain. I will say that that's something that um, when it comes to the habits, that is something that I in my own life have had to do a switch because naturally speaking, as, as Steven, um, I don't like structure. I don't want to be told what to do. I don't, I don't, I want to fly by the seat of my pants. I want to do my Nobody thing. does. Right, right. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get, well, some people I see and it seems like, well, they love this kind of thing. They need structure, but I realize probably in a lot of the times and the people I'm looking at um, have developed those habits and developed those things that are actually pushing their life forward. And so I think to myself, huh, is it, is it every single morning of my entire life? I've got to do this. Well, I mean, you know, it might be worth it. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing a, I'm doing a challenge right now. Uh, uh, I don't know if you've heard the 75 hard challenge. I don't know if oh, you've yeah. heard of that. Yeah. Name. I know Andy Frisella. He's a good guy. Yeah. I I've looked yeah. up to him. Yeah. He's um, I'm glad to hear that personal note that he's a good guy. I'm glad he, he's a stud. Yeah. He's, he's Love the it. real deal. He knows that he knows how he knows what he's doing. Love that. Well, anyways, I'm, I'm like day 13 right now. And just I'm, I'm over here thinking, well, what am I actually going to keep from this when this is all over? And I've already got a couple of them. I'm like, I'm going to keep the reading, probably going to keep the yeah. water, you know, and the workouts, that kind of sort of thing. So I'm loving the structure. And I'm like, okay, I need to build this into my life in other places. And I need to make more structure yeah. because that's the only way you're going to grow. Um, so to be clear, when I said that nobody likes, when I said nobody does, I wasn't speaking about the structure. I think there's a lot of people who don't. I don't think there's a single person on this planet that actually likes to be told what to do. Right. Right. And a lot of structure is a byproduct of somebody creating a platform or a system or a structure and telling you, this is what you need to fit to perform and, and, and actually be there. It's not about the structure or the discipline that I think is a condition that everybody can build. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I actually recommend is a really good practice in your life now, but structure and discipline looks different for every person. So the other thing you got to pay attention to is structure and discipline looks different for every person. You're asking yourself, based on 75 Hard, what fits for me? What I love about 75 Hard is it gives people a model and a platform to really be able to move through it and start to test. And as long as they're aware of the things that resonate and move the needle for them, that's what's important. If they right. do that work to raise that level of awareness, it's not a prescriptive approach that if you do this exactly like this for the rest of your life, that you are this person. That's putting somebody in a box. 
And I don't think that's Andy's approach. I, again, just based on knowing him, I don't think that's it. But there's a lot of really powerful people who have great amount of discipline, great amount of structure that are applying this. In my speaking event last week in Nashville, I was with two of the top coaches. I got to share the stage with Anthony Trucks and Coach Michael Burt. Anthony Trucks and I actually were doing 75. He's doing 75 hard right now. I wasn't, but I have discipline in my life. We got up and we did a workout at five o'clock in the morning while everybody else was sleeping. We went and ran three miles and pushed each other, right? And then we got back and he did his 45 minutes of stretching then because he knew he was going to pour himself into that stage and get home at 11 o'clock that night. And if he didn't do it now, it wasn't going to keep it moving. Mm -hmm. He understands where and how this applies in his life because he teaches it, he lives it, he embodies it, yet he's still pushing himself through another structure to figure out what works best for me. So, so no matter what, you know it's possible. And so no matter what level you're on, there's always something that you can do. I, and that's the thing. I I I want to encourage people that might not be where they think they want to be yet or where they think they can be. And they look up to people and they think, well, that's unattainable or I can't be like them or they've they've just got this down pat and I'm struggling. It's like it, it we're all people. We're all the same. Even no matter what level you're on, you still have to do these disciplinary things, this structure. We all, it's, it's tough for all of us sometimes, you know, just like what there you described. There is no final destination. It's a right. constant evolution of self. And if you recognize that, that's that. The only thing that I'm going to challenge in everything you just said, I 100% agree with everything, right? They say, well, I can't be like them. Guess what? You're right. You can't, but you can be like you. Yep, exactly. I love that. Um, switching gears just a little bit. I want to know a little bit more about uh, what specifically, and this may be a hard question because I want I want like an answer. What specifically do you love about what you do? Oh. It is an answer. It's connected in two veins, though. So I have to answer it both ways. Okay. Freedom. I feel more like myself, more free, more fulfilled, and literally more like myself today than I ever have. And the more I do this work, the more I continue to do that. Because I told you earlier, it's a gift. What I do is a gift, and I know that. I can hone that gift. But freedom is also what I get in working with my clients. I can help them see themselves more clearly than they can see themselves often. And when I start to see freedom enter into their world, their wins are my wins. And man, that gives me more freedom. It's also my fuel to keep me going. So I sort of answered it in two ways, but it's freedom. It's just that I see it in two different lenses. I love that. I love it. Isn't it so cool to, to see the people around you thrive? And especially, and especially if you had something to do with it, there's just something <laughs> magical about that. You know, I don't know. I, don't I got know a text from a, a, a psychologist, one of the best in the country that works with trauma work. And she's based in Denver and I've done some really cool work with her. She's just a phenomenal human being. Right now, when I talk about it impacting a billion lives, I know that I won't know about most of those. Right. Like I just won't, but it's little things like that, where she got a text from a client two weeks ago. And fortunately she shared it with me. And her, her client said, I remember you telling me about your friend who has helped you understand this idea of embracing pain to avoid suffering. And she, this was the text from her client to her, literally. And it said, and I did not embrace the pain and now I'm suffering. And I won't ever do that again. I got chills when I share that because that's what it's about, right? When I talk about like, I don't even know this person. It's two people removed. But the amount of freedom I get from knowing that the words I use painted a picture for them that they can now move through it Bro, like that's why that's why I do what I do. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that gives me chills. And I'm and I'm four people, five people removed from that. Um, 
two more questions. I just want to, these are easy. These are gimmies. These are like awesome. layups. So here you go. What's your favorite movie? <laughs> uh, probably oh, oh, the hold on. Oh, really? Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. I, There's two I, reasons for that. One, I just, I have that like really slap happy kind of humor. Yeah. And two, uh, my wife and I watched that movie the night we got engaged. And we actually got engaged on Christmas Eve. And so every single Christmas Eve since we've been engaged, which was 13 or 14 years ago, we've been married for 10. I guess it no, it's been 12 years ago. Um, we've watched it every year on, on New Year's Eve. So it's it's not only do I love the movie, but like now it's just there's a sentimental connection to it. That's awesome. I love that. Our um our Christmas Eve movie is uh Christmas Vacation. That's right. our that's right. our comedy. S same slapstick kind of humor. I I love the hangover as well. Uh but not for the same reason you do. That's very yeah. special. I love that. Um, and lastly, we all need someone to inspire us. Who inspires you? There, there's The list is too long to, to really, really break it down. But I'll tell you, there are three people that if I would have ever had the opportunity to meet, it would have like changed the game. I'm not somebody who's starstruck, but these are three people that, that, that I would have been. Um, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., and Muhammad Ali. And the reason is the three of them are examples of knowing who they are and fighting relentlessly for what was right in the world versus being right. Mm -hmm. They gave all of themselves. They poured all of themselves into something bigger than them. And that's what they believed in. And uh, they, they inspire me every day. I, I literally think back, I have stories and connections to each one of their stories that are independent, unique, and uh, they've changed the world. I'm, uh, I'm reading uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People again right now. That's a great one. Great um, one. It's solid. It's just, it's timeless. And there are a lot of little stories in there about Lincoln. Things that I wasn't aware of or that I had forgotten from the first time I read it. I'm like, I really need to read a biography on this guy because uh, there's just so much I don't know about him. So he's one that has inspired me from just little like sound yeah. bites here and there. So I, I actually, I have a feeling he's going to be one of mine as well. He's huge. And if you haven't seen, I want to say it's on Prime. Uh, I think it's called The King. I think it's literally called The King. I could be wrong on it, but it's a Martin Luther King documentary that's on, on Amazon Prime. Mind-blowing to watch yeah. that. Yeah, okay. I, I, would, I would recommend it to you or to anybody because it's just, you got to see from the people that were closest to him in that time, a little glimpse into the loneliness and isolation he actually experienced by committing himself as big as he did. Um, and so it's just, it's phenomenal to see his story of struggle through a different lens and what kept him going. Cause that purpose was big enough to overtake the pain every single day that he endured as a result of what he was doing. Well, with it being February and Black History Month, I think that will be on my list. I definitely should be educated on that. So thanks yeah, for that. That's a good one. Yeah, appreciate absolutely. it. So as a wrap up here, I just want to make sure everyone can find you on all of your socials, any way that you want people to get in touch with you, Brian, the floor is yours. Where can we find you? Yeah, so all social, it's at Bogert Brian on pretty much all of them. Um, so that makes it pretty simple. Uh, websites, brianbogert.com. Almost all the socials integrated in there, as well as a lot of the articles and publications we've had in Forbes and other places. Um, and then, you know, through the lens of impacting a billion people, I am very intimately aware that 99.9999999999% of those billion people will never pay us a dollar. And I am very okay with that. So we've also created a free resource to add value into people's lives to help them ask some of those intrinsic questions 
that'll help them get clarity on who they are and learn how to embrace pain to avoid suffering in their lives. So if they go to nolimitsprelude.com, there's a download there that will hopefully add value and impact into all the listeners' lives right now. I love that. Brian, I just want to again, once again, thank you for hopping on the podcast, chopping it up with me. Um, I look forward to maybe running into you in the future as well. Um, guys, I just want to leave you with a quote from one of my favorite people, Zig Ziglar. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We'll see you guys on the next one.